I'd like for you to turn to the 45th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And I'll read verses 1 through 13. And you can also turn to the 18th chapter of Jeremiah. And I'll read verses 1 through 6. I want to talk this morning, the title of the sermon is Honoring Our God, and we advertised in the paper that this was going to be an Honor Our God, Honor Our Country Day, but I want to really do more on the Honoring Our God part of it today. And a reading, reading this passage has to do with the rebirth of a nation and how God used other people to bring about rebirth of a nation and of individuals as that relates. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will scatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. And I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places. In order that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name, who gives you your identity. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, talking to Cyrus, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Drip down, O heavens, from above and let the clouds pour down righteousness. Let the earth open up and salvation bear fruit and righteousness shall spring up with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to the one, here's the text, who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say he has no hands? Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, to what are you giving birth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his maker. Ask me about the things to come concerning my sons. And you shall commit to me the work of my hands. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hand and I ordained all their host. I have aroused him in righteousness and I will make all his ways smooth. That is Cyrus. He will build my city and will let my exiles go free without any payment or reward, says the Lord of hosts. Now the Jeremiah passage is chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house 
and there I shall announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. In this passage, God is telling how he's going to deliver from captivity his people. He has told them before that he is going to bring them back from bondage, but he has not told them how. And so he tells them how he's going to effect that deliverance. He's going to raise up a king named Cyrus, a pagan Gentile dog, and he's going to use this pagan king for the rebirth of his nation. And when they hear it, Israel screams in protest. You're going to raise up a Gentile dog to deliver Israel, the holy ones, the chosen people. You're going to use a pagan to effect that plan. And their protest is answered in verse 9 that we are not to quarrel with God. I have a feeling this morning that many of us are guilty of the sin of verse 9. That is of quarreling with God, of complaining against his, his work and will, of having this I know better than that attitude. And the reason why we do that is because most of us have a kind of a deadly tendency to anticipate God and to have these preconceptions about how God is going to do such and such a thing. And when he doesn't do it the way we have preconceived that he will, we complain to him. For example, some of you have asked God to use you and you already have these preconceived ideas about how he's going to do that. And some of you have prayed to God and have anticipated how he's going to answer your prayer. And when he's not answered on the basis of your anticipation, you have complained against God. And so God says that we are not to quarrel against him. Woe to the man who complains about the way the maker does something. Now these people wanted deliverance from captivity. God said, you want to be delivered from bondage? And they said, yes, we want to be delivered from bondage. And so God says, okay, this is how I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to raise up a Gentile dog and I'm going to use him for your deliverance. And they said, we don't want to be delivered that way. I'm convinced this morning that there are some people who would rather live in bondage than to be freed God's way. I talk to some people who are having problems in their marriages from time to time. And as I've tried to describe to them how God wants their marriage to be in an ideal way, I can just sense 
They don't always vocalize it or verbalize it, but I can always sense a little resistance and some of them have said non-verbally, we'd rather go on like this than to have a marriage God's way. There are some people who would rather be lost than to be saved God's way. And so he gives the illustration of the potter working at the wheel and says, this is the way I want your life to be. You don't quarrel with me. Somebody said, don't try to box with God because he has the reach on you. Well, how am I to, what is my attitude? What should be my attitude toward God? Well, the attitude I am to have toward God is in verse 11. Thou shalt commit to me the work of my hands. In other words, you tend to your own business, God says, and let me tend to mine. You just let me do what I want to do my way. And I suppose that the best way to honor God is to commit to him the work of his hands. Now that means several things. It means first of all that I am to submit to the potter. Now in order to submit to the potter, there's some things I need to know about the potter. One of the greatest needs today, if there's a crisis in Christianity, it is at this point, we need a new fresh understanding of what God is like. For God never acts in a way that is contrary to his nature. I need to know some things about the potter. First of all, he's a potter who does all things. If you want to reread this chapter, you just notice how many times he asserts himself and says, I am the creator. I formed light and darkness. I brought good and calamity. I am the one who is the in control. It is an awesome passage on the, on the sovereignty of God. Now someone said that sovereign, the sovereignty of God means that God is able to do anything he wants to do and do it right well. So that God says, I am the source of all activity. I am, the, I am what creation flows out from. I am the means of all that is created. And he makes these awesome statements concerning his sovereignty. And I know that nothing happens to me that does not pass by him first. He's the potter who does all things. He's a potter who has the right to do all things. Now that doesn't mean that God is some kind of cosmic bully who uses his superiority to, to master your inferiority. It just means that since God has created it and owns it all, he has a right to do whatever he wants to with it. Now that makes a lot of sense. If this belongs to God because of his creative power, then he has the right to do with it what he wants to. It's the exercise of his supremacy. He has the right to do all things. And he does all things right. Now I will admit that sometimes when God takes a mysterious route, but he always arrives at the proper destination at the right time. Sometimes God comes dressed his ministers come dressed in different clothes. 
Pastoring over at Fort Worth means that you have a certain amount of anonymity. I mean, I lived 20 miles, 20 minutes from where I pastored, so I lived in a neighborhood of people that did not go to my church, and there was a certain anonymity in that, which is pretty good, really. I mean, you can go outside, and, and the next door, you know, the neighbors you know, across town don't know about it like they do here. It's a certain anonymity, and that's kind of good. And one Saturday afternoon, I had a day off, and I was, you know, working in the yard, and I had all my grubbies. Now, they were really grubby. They were dirty and sweaty. And Margaret needed something from the local Winn-Dixie store. It was a store around the corner a few blocks away, and I, but before Sunday, and it was getting late on Saturday night, and I decided I'd go down to the Winn-Dixie store and get what she wanted in my grubbies. Turned around as one of my members. One of these sophisticated kind that's always clean, you know. And, and she kind of looked at me and she said, well, Brother Tidwell, I didn't recognize you. She said, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know you without a suit. She said, I don't suppose that I have ever seen you without a suit on. Now, that's kind of a shame. I mean, I pastored there for three years and, and the only way she knew me was with the clothes I wore. I suppose that, that if one of my suits had been laying out beside the road and she came by, she'd have said, well, there's Brother Gerald. I mean, she, the, the only way she, she, she knew me was with, with, my, with my clothes. Now, now there are times when, when ministers of God come dressed in different clothes. Sometimes they come dressed up as pagan kings. And sometimes they come wearing the robes of sorrow tragedy. And sometimes they come dressed in the garments of calamity and failure. Sometimes they come dressed in the, in, the, in, the, in the rags of the loss of employment or embarrassment. But God's ministers often come dressed in different clothes. Now God is saying in verses 1 through 7, this is what I'm about. I want to raise up this minister in order that I might show the world that I'm the only God there is. Now he doesn't have to have a pagan king to do that. But if he can't find anybody else, he'll use a pagan. But what God wants of us this morning is just to have somebody through whom he can demonstrate that there is nothing, there is no one besides him. So I must submit myself to the potter. I must submit myself to the potter's purpose. Now what's the potter about here? I really don't know sometimes what God is about, what he's up to in my life. I know that the ultimate plan for God is that I be like Jesus, but there are times when he's, a, he's up to something I don't know about. I don't know what he's up to. Now, I can remember working with clay as a child. Now, we'd mold that clay and put it in the kill or bake it till it was hardened. You know, I don't remember a single time that I ever explained to the clay what I was up to. And the reason why I never explained it to the, to the clay, I never did say, now this is what I'm gonna do with you, is because the clay wouldn't have understood it if I'd have told him. Now there are times when God is up to something in our life that we don't understand. And he hasn't explained what he's up to 
But just because we don't understand it does not mean that he doesn't have a purpose. And it ought to be enough just to know that he has a purpose. That ought to be enough. I may not know what that purpose is in the present moment, but it ought to be enough just to know that he does have a purpose. And that purpose is unique. Now watch this. The Lord wants you to be like no one else. He doesn't want you to be like somebody else. I've made a discovery in the years that I've been pastoring that God doesn't want me to be like somebody else. Now, this may shock you, but I've never really been too impressed with me. I've always had a little self-image problem. And when I started preaching, I, 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 was, you know, I couldn't be me. I want to be, you know, be Billy Graham. I can remember when the preacher that ordained me he, he, in the ordination service, he said to me, he said, he said, Gerald, God didn't call you to be Billy Graham. Well, I was kind of disappointed in that. I, I, uh, and he went on down the list and he said, God called you to be Gerald Tidwell. But I wasn't satisfied with that. So I got all of Billy Graham's sermons and put them all together and improved on them and, 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 and preached them. Now, I even had the voice like Billy Graham. I could sound just like him. I'd talk about the, this is the hour of decision. And I, I, I would, you know, there's 12 people in this little country church and I was up there, you know, uh, preaching Billy Graham's sermon, sound just like him. But I, I've come to understand that, that, that God doesn't want me to be Billy Graham. He wants me to be Gerald Tidwell. He, and, and there is a uniqueness that in, in each one of us that he delights in. And, and, and he, his purpose for your life is unique. And that's what makes us valuable because what makes something valuable because there's a scarcity of it. And so he, he, he has his plan and purpose for you and what he's doing in your life today might be totally different from what he's doing in somebody else's because his plan for you is unique, you see. And so you take that lump of clay and you see in that lump of clay a tremendous unrealized potential. But I want you to know that there is nothing in the clay itself that can ever reach its potential apart from the potter's hand. That clay will never reach its potential. And so I will never reach that unique potential that God has for my life unless I surrender myself to the potter's purpose for me. Third, I must submit to the potter's pressure. Now, I don't like that especially, but that's true. Imagine with me this morning the potter going into the workhouse and he takes that lump of clay and speaks to it and says, I want to make something beautiful today out of you. And the clay responds, well, that's just great for who doesn't want to be beautiful? And so the potter says, I will make something beautiful if you will submit to me. And the clay says, I'm willing to do it. I'll submit to you. And the process begins and all of a sudden something starts to hurt. And the clay says, hey, what is going on here? And the potter says, 
I'm making something beautiful. And the clay says, well, do you have to mash down that hard? Do you have to put that much pressure? Now, I don't know whether you're like me or not, but I have a suspicion that most of you are. I have missed out on the beautiful plan of God for my life so many times because when the pressure is applied, I want to run. Don't you? That sound like somebody you know? When I start feeling the pain of that pressure being applied by the potter's hand, what I want to do is flee. I want to, I want to weasel out of that. Now I want you to watch this because this is a principle that always applies in every situation. It is at the point where the pressure is applied that your uniqueness is developed. As that potter holds that vessel in his hand or works it on the wheel, where he applies the pressure is the place where your uniqueness is developed. Now the reason why we're so, so much alike, why we're not distinct and what the Christian world needs is a distinctiveness from the rest of the world. Why we're so much like the world is because we have not yielded to the pressure when that pressure has been applied for it is at the point of the pressure that the uniqueness is found. Now, how do I know that God is at work in my life? I feel the pressure there. And when I cease feeling that pressure upon my life, then I know at that point God is withdrawn His activity in me. Let me tell you something. It is much more painful. It is much more hurtful if He's not applying the pressure than when He is. I tell you, the silence of God is worth than, worse than His pressure. The inactivity of God in one's life is ten times worse than the pressure of God in one's life. For the way I know that God is at work in me is I feel the hand of His pressure applied. And where that pressure is applied is where my uniqueness, it's where I find who I really am. I must submit to the potter's pressure. One last thought, please. I must submit to the potter's patience. Now the Jeremiah passage says that suddenly the vessel was spoiled in the hand of the potter. The King James has it marred the vessel was marred, was spoiled in the hand of the potter. Can you say that without tears? Is there anyone here today who cannot identify with that? For there are many of us today who must stand on the reality of this truth that we are not what God planned for us to be. We are not what God wants us to be. Now there are two reasons as I see it that the vessel would become spoiled or marred in the hand of the potter. One reason would be a stubbornness 
a stubborn point in the clay. Now, if it's in your yard, it's the hot spot. I've got one in my yard. I don't care how much I water it. I don't care how much I fertilize that one spot in my yard. It just, it just won't, it won't grow well. It's stubborn. It won't yield. May I ask you a question this morning? Is every area of your life yielded to God? Have you said to him, I have one little closet, one little room that you are not entitled to. I'm keeping that under lock and key. Now you can have every, every area of my life, but this little place is off limits. It might be some habit, it might be some attitude, it might be some action. You say to God subconsciously or consciously, I have one little area of my life that I've not yielded to you. Listen to me carefully. As long as there's one little area unyielded to him, you'll never, ever reach the beautiful design the potter has. Some of us give God what we don't want and don't need. The other day I made a, I was driving down uh, Washington Street. I passed that Goodwill deposit box up there. I'm telling you, I've never seen so much junk and trash in all my life. I mean, it was blowing down the streets. And what had happened was that some guy had come up there. It must have been a truck. It must have been an 18-wheeler. Much stuff was piled out on the ground there. He, he came up to that Goodwill box and just dumped out on the ground what he didn't want or need. I mean, in the service club that I'm a member of, a guy talked to us from the Goodwill industry in Sherman. He said this, he said, half of our time and manpower is spent on hauling off what nobody else would haul off, what people don't want, and they just come up to a convenient Goodwill box and dump this junk out on us. And so as I passed by there, I became aware and commented, we commented that, that what somebody had done is just bring what they didn't want to haul out to the dump ground and dumped it in the Goodwill box, on the Goodwill box, around the Goodwill box, and nearby. I mean, it was a load. Now, it's a perfect illustration of you and, of you and me. We just give often to God what we don't want and can't use and hope he's satisfied with it. And that area of our life where he puts his finger and says, this, this is what I want. And we say, Lord, anything but that. Anything but that. And I think there's a second reason why that vessel gets marred in the hand of the potter, not only because of a stubborn spot, but because of some foreign matter, some foreign element. And so here's a, here's a grain or a rock or some foreign element in the, in the clay, and every time it goes around on the wheel and the potter presses down at that spot, it becomes marred. Is there anything in your life today that ought not to be there? 
And every time God puts his finger on that part in your life that says, this has to go, this has to go, you say, anything but that, Lord, anything but that. I must keep that. And as long as there is that in your life, that is contrary to his nature and will and purpose for you and me. We'll never reach the potter's plan. And God will take his time. You can bet on it. You can take this to the bank that he's in no hurry and he'll keep on pressing down and pressing down until that stubborn spot is yielded, until that foreign matter is gone, and he'll keep on pressing down. For I've discovered that God is willing to wait a lifetime to accomplish one or two things in a person's life. He was willing to wait 30 years before he gave his son in ministry. Adelaide Pollard came home from a service in which she had made an appeal for a foreign mission project and it was turned down and she was distressed. When she got home, she penned these words. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. Would you say that to the potter? Would you? Say that to the potter. Then let's say it together as we pray. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yield it and still. Say those words with me. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Do you really mean it? Would you look this way? There are three invitations this morning. And these invitations help us to see how serious you were with your prayer. The first invitation is an invitation to, to declare your faith in Jesus Christ for personal salvation. To come to say, come saying, I want to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I repent of self-sin and trust Jesus and Him alone. 
an invitation this morning for you to come for what we, we, we refer to as, as rededication, to recommit your life to the potter's hands. You've placed yourself there, but you've wandered away. You come back to say, I want to yield myself to the potter. Or to come this morning to join the church because God has led you here. Now the best way to honor God and help your country is to submit yourself to the potter. So would you do it while we stand to sing? We invite you to come.